Hi, you're about to listen to an episode of Borough Talks, a podcast from Borough Market. A very, very warm welcome to you. We're going to be bringing you a series of conversations around food and food culture with some inspiring guests and leading voices from the food industry. I'm your host, Angela Clutton. I really hope you enjoy listening to this episode of Borough Talks. And if you do, you can subscribe for more from us. Hello, everybody, and thank you so much for joining us on Borough Talks. I'm Angela Clutton. I am your host, and I'm sitting here today with a lady who I think is having probably the busiest 2022 of kind of anyone that I've met for a good while, Cynthia Shamugalingam. Hi. Hi. Lovely to see you. Lovely to be here. Uh, Chef, restaurateur, food writer. They're just the kind of immediate things, and they're all things which are happening right now. Yeah, 2022 feels like the year that everything that I was working on kind of came to fruition. So, I mean, I'd never planned on doing the book and the restaurant at the same time, but I guess that's just the way life rolls sometimes. I guess it is. Um, And we're going to really talk about all of that. And I do really want to kind of get into your story, really, and how, how 2022 happened and how this came to be. But I think we should begin with a spoiler. Okay. That you are opening a restaurant. That's right. In Borough Market. That's right. Give, give us a quickie about that. So um, we're opening a Sri Lankan restaurant, a 60-seater Sri Lankan restaurant called Rambutan in Borough Market on Stony Street, that lovely stretch that uh, we're flanked by Monmouth and Wright Brothers um, and our near neighbours are Elliot's and Bao. Um, and it will be... Uh, Sri Lankan cooking, regional cooking from the north of the island. It'll be the only Sri Lankan restaurant, as far as I know, within a three-mile radius. And we're really, really excited to be there. Well, I think Borough Market are really excited to have you. When I first got the email kind of saying that you were coming in Ramtam's opening, I did think, yeah, yay, that's a good shout. Yay. And I'm I glad to hear it. It will be a really, really lovely addition to the you know, the, the dining offering at Thank the market. You. And that's such a lovely stretch of the market too, isn't it? It is such a special stretch of the market, I feel like. And it's probably where... I mean, there's uh, Al Pastor as well, a few doors down, and I, you know, Bao. I feel like it's sort of where the international bit of the, you know, bit of the market is at the moment. So yeah, it's lovely to be there. And I think you, if you stand kind of outside where well, where you are, we'll get into that as well. But also yeah. where you're going to be, and look around you and look up, it gives you a lovely perspective about the market as a whole, doesn't it? Absolutely, it gives you this huge sense of history. You look up at that, at roast with that. Uh, isn't it? I think it's a co- it's a copy of the Covent Garden facade. I from... think it's a real one. Oh, is it? I think it oh, is. Yeah, that's right. So, that's right. Yeah, it was yeah. brought. It was brought over, yeah. which is a magical little bit of London. It feels very sort of Dickensian, but also modern. You can see the Barriards development around the corner. So it's yeah, Brindisi's at the end of the street. Yeah. You can, it's just a really a really special stretch. Yeah, um, and you're opening Rambutan in. August? September? In, no, in October. October, sorry, racing you along. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, don't, don't give me a heart attack. Oh, no, I had an email, Cynthia, saying you were opening in three weeks' time. Is that, is that Who not right? That? Let, me, let me look at that. Let me. October, October, October. That's right. But for anyone who can't quite wait until October and they find themselves wandering around that area, they can still get a little bit of... Soft serve ice cream. They, they can, yeah. yeah. Tell us about that. Uh, so for the for eight weeks during the build, we're, we built a little hatch into our hoarding at the front of the restaurant, um, painted it bright yellow and are serving Sri Lankan soft serve ice cream in different fun Sri Lankan flavours we've had so far. Mango, cashew nut and jaggery, uh, watermelon and hibiscus, banana is happening 
right now. I haven't actually tried this week's yet, and apparently it's the best yet. Um, and we've got other fun Sri Lankan flavours planned for the rest of the summer. That's so nice. And as we were just chatting before we came on the podcast, I think it's so lovely that you've got this presence there even before the restaurant opens. It feels really special to have the presence, you know, before, because I, because it means that people who pass us by get excited about it. I think they understand a little bit about what we're about. I think Sri Lanka, you don't, people don't necessarily know what an, what an insane sweet tooth Sri Lanka, most Sri Lankans have. And Sri Lanka, Sri Lanka, ice cream is big in Sri Lanka, you know, and we all kind of love it. So it's nice to celebrate something a little bit unexpected. And I think it signals a little bit about who we are and what we what we like. Yeah. yeah. Um, Rambutan and you are you know, around to at the moment in uh, ways of joy because the book's just come out and you're talking about the restaurant. But Sri Lanka's obviously in the news a lot as well at the moment. Um, just quickly, Cynthia, I don't want to you know, dwell on this overly, but um, I think it would be odd not to talk a little bit about your perspective on what's happening in Sri Lanka at the moment. Yeah, I mean, so just I'm, sorry, I'm no just interrupt quickly say for the re- so for the listeners, we're talking. When is it? Middle of July. That's right. So Give perspective about what we're talking about now. Sorry, That's Cynthia. That's right. I mean, yeah, I was just saying I'm no, I'm no expert on on the Sri Lankan kind of crisis, but um, it's it, every every citizen and every member of the diaspora that I know have been watching the news every day. Um, for the past hundred days, people have taken to the streets. The people of Sri Lanka have taken to the streets to protest against the government because there has been the worst economic crisis the island's ever seen. Um, there have been shortages of fuel, of food, of medical supplies, uh, thanks to a currency crisis, which um, I think it's uncontroversial to say was engineered by by a corrupt government that people were uh, uh, dying to see leave. There, it's an extraordinary bit of uncertainty going forward. There's just been a new president elected today. Um, the protesters have said that they're not happy with the choice and they'll go on to protest. Um, I'm from the north of the island and Tamil people have felt, I think, largely left out or sometimes people have felt left out of of the current debate in Sri Lanka, you know, which has both political and economic roots. And it's hard to see how Sri Lanka will recover. I hope it will. But I think a lot of people will be going hungry, facing a lot of economic uncertainty for several years. So it's it's very sad. Yeah. Do you have family there at the moment? I do. So my mum and dad sort of moved back to Sri Lanka when I left home, <clears throat> um, when I went to university. And they they come back to England every, every so often. They've just come back. They're here now and they... Uh, were last in England in, about in 2019. Um, and I have quite a lot of extended f- family and friends still there. Yeah. Do you speak to them much at the moment about how... I have spoken to the West Sri Lankans are sort of char- characteristically very resilient with the sort of, I think, gallows humour. Um, and they've seen lots of political, you know, crap come and go. <laughs> so I feel that they are um, off- often in good humour about it. But... Um, there's a real sadness, like I, I think, and many people who can, I think, are thinking about leaving the island, mm. um, and people who I never thought, you know, mm. would, yeah. Mm. Um, you mentioned about your parents being back there now. When did they first come to the UK? So my dad arrived in 1968, and then my, he married mum, went back, married mum, and she, they came back together in 72. Were they already together were they already united they so I basically I'm so sorry I think, no, that's okay so I think what happened was dad 
came to England, got his master's degree and went back to Sri Lanka on for a holiday with his parents. Um, and they were like, look, it's about time you got married, which he didn't know was happening on that two-week holiday back to Sri Lanka. And I think because he had an, a, a British passport and, you know, a science degree and whatever, he was fairly in demand. So there were, I think there were lots of different girls who he was potentially okay. interested in. And he picked my mum and they met in their wedding. So they hadn't, they hadn't right. ever met before, yeah. John, I think, I was just thinking, why did I feel it was appropriate to ask you that question? And then it occurred to me, I think it felt appropriate to ask you that rather personal question because in the book, Rainbow Town, which came out a month ago. That's right. So, your family is so much a part of it. That's right. I, I suppose weirdly, I almost feel like I know them. You know them. them. You do know them. I've told you all about them. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you do. <laughs> Absolutely. And, that, and I really think that is one of the glory. We're going to come back and talk about restaurant, but we're going to come back and talk more detail about the book. But just to say quickly while we're on it, it is one of the wittiest, most joyful cookbooks I have read in an awfully long time. Oh, it's lovely to hear. Thank you. It's, you know, for anyone who loves a cookbook which is full of exciting food, it's a great book to have. But for anyone who wants a cookbook where they just want to take a journey and want to be immersed in a family and in a whole you know, culture and really, you know, just enjoy being immersed in that. And you say in the introduction, you don't shy away from some of the politics of it and it's all you know, in there. But also there's so much you know, joy and life in there as well. Yeah, I think it is a very joyful has been a very joyful experience, you know, reconnecting with Sri Lankan food and Sri Lankan people and, and, and my memories of it. And it's full of melancholy and as well and, and sadness and and raging, in, you know, various Sri Lanka's various maddening injustices. I think that's the experience of being Sri Lankan, especially Sri Lankan Tamil and an immigrant. And I hoped that by talking about all of that stuff, it would make it sort of fun and, 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 and joyous and engaging, but also so give people a sort of real sense of, of the island and my relationship to it. Well, you certainly, if that is your intention, you certainly smashed it. Thank you. Um, so your Coventry, is that right? You're from Coventry? That's right, yeah. that's right, yeah. yeah. Um, and so was food a huge part of your life growing up? I mean, I feel like my especially my mother's side of the family is just quite food mad so if we were going to go on like a trip to London for example to visit the sites mum would wake up at like 5am and make a biryani and fish buns and other like fun treats for us to have so much so that it was only when I got quite a lot older that I thought if you go on a trip you don't need to wake up at my you could just buy a (laughs) snack in the train station and it would be totally fine but they were like mum's family are the kind of people who like while they're having lunch are already starting to think about what they're going to have for dinner and talk about it and, and, and enjoy it so yeah I think food was a big part of uh, of our upbringing and I also think we didn't speak, we don't speak Tamil very well me and my brother and sister so when we went back to Sri Lanka on holiday in the summer or when we met our family or, or, or friends, Sri Lankan friends in, in the UK, food was this currency, a way of communicating, a way of connecting, which we couldn't always do with words. Yeah. How aware or not do you think you were of that as you were growing up? Is it only looking back that you can kind of see that? Were you aware of food being important? Um, I think... 
I mean, obviously not when you're a kid, because no one does, but... No, I mean, I think I was aware just of something being tasty and delicious yeah, and yeah, that yeah. being, like, fun and important. And I think my mum was quite, like, if we ate something at someone else's house, she'd be like, how did, how did you think put cardamom in it? Like, well, how, why is it, so why does it taste this way? It's got a bit of ginger, I think. And I think she would, you know, and they would talk about which aunties were good cooks and which weren't and... Um, you know, wanting to get away at a wedding because the food wasn't very good. So I think it was a part of yeah. what we talked about yeah, a lot. Yeah. But I, maybe I wasn't conscious in quite the same way that I am now. Because now you, I'm going to ask you to go snapshot of the love story you tell about um, curry leaves. Yeah. And the kind of symbolism, really, because obviously that's something you only do understand with you know, with with adult hindsight and kind of looking back on you know, and doing a book like this. But there's, it seems like there's real the curry leaves. In, you know, for you growing up in your mother's kitchen, it's not just about having the curry leaves. It's sort of so much more than yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, I think it was a lot for mum. She she had certain standards, you know, that she didn't want, that she wanted um, us to live by. She wanted the food to taste good, which meant that we had to have curry leaves, we had to have salt, we had to have certain ingredients for that to happen. She wanted us to be well dressed and turned out, and you know, she she and she was doing all of that while she worked full time, and she had three of us to take care of at home, and we had two cousins come and live with us because of the war in Sri Lanka, and my grandmother, um, and she went to evening school to teach herself English and and other subjects. So she was she had a lot on, and she didn't really have any help at home Um, and and yeah and yet she still sort of was adamant over curry leaves and other issues so so yeah they they are they are a sort of symbol I guess of um, of something important and something to hold on to uh, and something kind of irreplaceable that you can't um, take out of Sri Lankan cuisine and you yeah you tell a lovely, um, funny but also sort of not funny story about kind of your mum kind of running out of curry leaves and, and the wheels almost coming off the entire show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, the wheels almost coming off the entire show and her suggesting to dad, like, do you want the wheels to come off the show? And him being like, no, no, please, please, please. Because in yeah. some way it all depends on the curry leaves. Yeah, so, love it, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's the symbolism of it. It's so much more than just yeah, the curry that's leaves. That's right. When did you start cooking? Um, I started probably properly when I left home and went to university so I was 18 19 years old yeah Yeah. do you think 18 19 year old Cynthia would have any idea that you're just on a cookbook about it to open a restaurant no I don't think so I mean I didn't know what I wanted to do then um what did you study I did economics oh okay yeah it's sort of I always say that if you're Sri Lankan economics is like doing fine art because I mean, my sister's a doctor, my brother's a computer programmer, and most of my family have, like, very sensible, made very sensible career choices, and nobody does anything as out there, or few people get the opportunity to do anything as out there as doing a restaurant. Um, but, yeah, so, I, I've da- I mean, ec- my dad thought economics was a very risky choice because there wasn't a clear... Because <laughs> 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 it, it sounds clear to me like that's a dead sensible choice. Yeah, well, he, well it's not, there's not a vocation, I guess, immediately afterwards yeah. that you can go to, which, which I understand, you know, because, because of where he came from and because of where we came from um, and our, like, socioeconomic background, it, it wasn't a dead cert that we were going to be able to get a job, I guess, unless you had a profession to step into, which was what he wanted for all of us. And so did you work in, well, you just say you can't work in economics. So yeah, but, well, but I was it, actually an economist, oh, okay. yeah. yeah My very first job for the first couple of years when I graduated was I was an economist, yeah. 
that's true. And so when did food become what you were going to do with your life? Um, and why and how? About in 2013, I sort of really hankered after doing my own, th- wanting to do my own thing, wanting to start my own thing in some way. And in 2013, I met um, a girl who worked for La Cocina in San Francisco, which is a uh, food business incubator. They help um they help women, immigrant women, to set up food businesses with teaching and, and access to a shared kitchen, lots of other fun things. And I thought, oh, this sounds quite good and there's nothing kind of like that in London and maybe I'll set up, try and set up something that's a bit similar to that. So I set up this restaurant in Cubeta called Kitchenette, which was about helping chefs um, and immigrant women and lots of other people to get into maybe running a food store or a restaurant in some way how would they you know go about that and find a site and pitch for money and 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 so on and then as part of that I sort of fell in love with restaurants I didn't really know anything about restaurants by the way it sounds like a big leap (laughs) it was a huge leap it basically started with me finding a few different restaurateurs um, who were friends of friends or okay. whatever, and, and saying, look, when you were starting out, would this have been helpful? Would it have been helpful for you to have known, to have been able to speak to somebody who'd done it before? And everybody was like unanimously yes. Um, I just, I think because the industry is so difficult, it's so hard, it's so many restaurants don't work and there's so many pitfalls and people were keen to kind of pass on their knowledge. So I thought, well, you know, I'd, I'd mainly basically introduce people to each other um, or help, yeah, help people get a site or, or figure out how to, I guess for lots of chefs who've been in the kitchen for eight years doing a PowerPoint presentation on why they should get a site or whatever is quite alien. Mm. And that means that not everyone who's always the best gets the sites because sometimes really great cooks don't, you know, get get cut out of that. So, um, yeah, that's how that's how that whole journey started. And then I, and pretty soon I think I realised that really I was just so, I really wanted to start my own restaurant. Instead of helping other people to do it, I should, be, I should be doing it myself. And so, what was your journey into doing into doing that? Because it's one thing it's one thing to want to do it; it's another thing to do it. It's not. Yeah, it is. Well, I started with uh, I started with just talking to some friends about it, and and a few friends and family wanted to invest, which was a great sort of bit of confidence to kind of get started. Um, and I did a little trip to Sri Lanka with a couple of chef friends and we cooked around the island and then we came back to London and did a pop-up together at Asma Khan's um, restaurant when it was in Soho on a Sunday. She sometimes um, lets usually female chefs have the restaurant on a Sunday to do to do pop-ups and I think that's how she started too. Yeah. So we did that and then I started to do a few more pop-ups. And roughly when is this, Cynthia? Roughly? That was 2019. Okay. Yeah, so it's all pretty it's, it's, recent. It's been fast. So. Yeah, yeah, twenty nineteen, and then I we did a, I did a few more pop ups at different places, um, in other people's uh, restaurants. I was asked to do one in the Cayman Islands, which was a ridiculous and lovely experience. Um, and hilarious, and, and <laughs> yeah, exactly <laughs> in the book. I won a Equo Vadis uh, in London. And um, and then I basically was, you know, looking for a site right. kind of pretty full time when the pandemic hit and it became clear that we weren't going to be able to do that and um, and that there are my restaurant dreams had to go in the freezer. Yeah. So um, when did the book come into into your line of vision, I think. That's, that's when. Okay. So when I was kind of like, you know, should I give up on this, on the food industry entirely? Should I get a job? Should I, you know... 
I, yeah, should I should I leave it all behind? And a, a man, an old friend from from university was like, you should. Why don't you try writing a book? It's a sort of book version of the restaurant. Um, and I hadn't written anything, you know, since ever. Since, I mean, I wrote some stuff from my GCSE English or whatever, but I hadn't written anything since then. So it was quite a daunting prospect, but I thought worth a go. You know, it was the lockdown, none of us were doing anything. Yeah. And it felt like something just you and your computer could achieve. And quite nice to have something to do. Yeah. I think so many people, all of us here, are feeling quite lost and Absolutely. so uncertain. Yeah, I did. I did this. I should just give it a shout out. But I did, you know, Counter Talk, mm. the platform for the hospitality industry. They did a they did a talk on how to do a cookbook, which was like an hour. Oh, and I think it was like a tenner. And I zoomed in. You know, we were all doing Zoom classes yeah, yeah, at that yeah, point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, so I zoomed in and they were sort of like, this is what you should put in a book proposal and blah, blah, blah. So I just basically did that. It's so important that. to have that because yeah. it's really hard it to was, get you know, to get publishers to take notice and, to, and you know, to, as you say do propose on what even is that absolutely and I don't have a following you know on Instagram or I don't I'm not you know a fa- I'm not famous or, or anything in any way so I wasn't sure if just doing a hold proposal hold that thought I suspect <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't sure if just doing a proposal would be enough or, or, yeah. or whatever and then but I so I just, I just basically sat down and wrote one and then sent it to some publishers and and then yeah and then Bloomsbury said yes yeah and it's you know it's a gorgeous gorgeous book. I noticed that um, your designer is Dave Brown. That's right. Who said so the Borough Market cookbook? Oh, it's right. just about to come out in, in the autumn. Yeah. Which um, and Dave has done that right. as well. He's he great, does gorgeous he? books. He's yeah. so great. Yeah. He's he's one of the one of the best people I've ever worked with. Yeah, he's wonderful. And, and Ramitan is is a completely completely beautiful. But I'm, I keep banging on about it. And I think I said this to you when we spoke before that I think there's a lot of really good cookbooks out this year because I think a lot of things got held over and so I've been lucky enough to have a lot of cookbooks come across my path in 2022 but this is one of those ones that does really stand out thank you um we keep saying the name but tell us tell us about the name rambutan is the name of a fruit that you get in Sri Lanka it tastes a bit like it looks it's basically like a hairy lychee it's in the same family as a lychee and a long down if listeners know what that is uh and you pr- yeah you prize it open it's got like a jelly like um interior it's sweet uh, and fragrant. It's a little bit more sa- sour, I'd say, than a lychee. And I love the way it sounds. I. Uh, it's also the same word in in Tamil and Sinhalese and English, the three languages in Sri Lanka. Um, and and um, it's 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 a, I guess a full of poignant memories for me because um, my my dad's little brother when he was alive used to live in the hill country in Sri Lanka, and there were lots of rambutans that grew in that area. And it's the first time I tried them was with him, and it reminds me of all the summers we used to spend there. Yeah, yeah. Can you get them easily here? They're not. They you can get them here, but they don't travel that well. Okay. Them and mangosteen are much better. In in situ, yeah. Um, you give a lovely thing at the beginning of the book about ingredients and helping people kind of steer the way through things which they may be familiar with and things that they may not be familiar with, and how that all kind of comes together. And I think that is really helpful, but also really interesting kind of insight into that. And then there's a lovely map at the beginning of the book as well, which I absolutely love. Which you know, I don't know loads about Sri Lanka, and so I found that really helpful to just get the basic idea of geography but also the different cultures within it and you, know, you, you sort of you know, give every perspective on it very quickly in a very fun way how important was it for you to kind of in, include a map 
like that in the book? It, are we, I mean, I wasn't completely... This, I think that was a Bloomsbury idea and I wasn't completely sure that we sort of needed one and the day that it came we were all so excited right. about it because it and it, fe- it feels exactly as you say that it brings the rest of the book together yeah. and it's a bit of an anchor for like where are we yeah. you know when I talk about different areas um yeah. so yeah it really yeah. does that and you, as I say you, the map it's very it's very short and it's very fun and well, it's fun in say like that's a great place for surfing, or that's a place, you know, great right. place for street food. But then you also have other, you know, much more serious aspects to it that really kind of help you understand nature the way the island works. And when Gladbrunsbury came up with that, that's very, very yes, lovely. Yes, very good. Um, it's jam packed with recipes. Um, I was going to pick it up and have a look at some, but Please. I think I, I suspect I'm going to knock my microphone over. But look, we're just going to take a, a, just a, just going to pick a few. Um, chicken white sodi curry. Tell us yes. a little about that. That's um, I'm just randomly picking. Pages that's now, good. So that's a great way to do it. I like it. It's like a sort of roulette. <laughs> um, that is a mild, uh, comforting chicken curry. It's almost like it almost has like laxa-like uh, feelings. It's heavy on coconut milk and uh, light spices, and it's not particularly spicy. Um, as in, it's not particularly hot. And it's uh, my grandmother's recipe. It reminds me of her. Yeah. Oh, that's a nice sneaking look, trying to see where I'm, where I'm pausing. Uh, where should we? There was one, now I'm trying to find one in particular. There's one that you do, which is basically, I'm going to describe this really badly. Uh, it's sort of a bread wrapped around. A roti, yeah. like it's a stuffed, uh, is it the potato and leek? Yeah, I think it is. Roti? Yeah, yeah, I think yeah, you're in the yeah. right yeah. section. That's it. I think you may be... You, you keep it. talking, I'm going to try and find it. <laughs> um, that's a great street food uh, snack. There are these different stuffed rotis all over Sri Lanka, they, sometimes with beef, sometimes with spicy potatoes, sometimes with vegetables. The, the, it's a potato and vegetable one in the book. Yeah. yeah. There's too many lovely things. I, I, I flick a page and just, you know, stop. It's so, so many lovely things. And there's a real mix of... Uh, vegetarian, vegan, meat and fish and everything. That's right. Um, and are these the dishes which people will be tucking into at the restaurant? Not all. There are 80 recipes in the book <clears throat> because that's um, apparently how many you need to do in a book. <laughs> uh, but you certainly shouldn't do a restaurant with 80 recipes, in no, my indeed. humble opinion. It's, it's way too many. So we'll do, um, it'll change and it'll be a seasonal, it'll be guided by the seasons and um, turn the restaurant's menu. But there'll be plenty of dishes from the book in there, yeah. So tell us, We'll have to go back to the restaurant. What would it feel like for people when they're when they're in there? Um, so I've I had this thing about it not being a colonial restaurant. There are these restaurants in London that have celebrated um, the 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 British Empire in some way. Like there's a there's a restaurant based on the kind of old sporting clubs of the empire, or another one based on the kind of uh, the the army mess halls of the British Empire and 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 I understand you know why those those restaurants exist but um, Sri Lanka's had its own uh, tradition of architecture and of design that I think we should be really proud of and it's based on um, the era of architecture that began in the middle of the century middle of uh, the last century when Sri Lanka got its independence there was a female architect I really love called Minette de Silva who um, has often been overlooked. But for for other male architects, but had a big influence on the island's mod- modernist tradition, uh, and it will have so it will use kind of concrete and clay 
um, some materials and fabrics made in Sri Lanka, some local to the to the UK, some stone and some other material from 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 England, um, and it should feel kind of yeah modern, uh, light uh, space with lots of colour and um, and kind of should it should it should hopefully feel Sri Lankan and from London at the same time. You say a lovely thing in the book um, that the food is part Sri Lankan, part London, part Cynthia. That's right. Yeah. And it's, that's what you're kind of carrying on. That's right, the in the restaurant, yeah. As well. It sounds so exciting to be sort of working on all those things. And Thank the architecture you. and the walls and the pots and all of that. It's, I mean, it's very simplistic to say it's exciting. It must be incredibly hard work It's um, it's It's both. Okay. It's both. It's, it's, it's like wildly fun and thrilling to pick like colours and um, finishes and like different woods and it's that's really really thrilling for sure and thinking about what will it feel like to feel to sit in this bit of the restaurant you know what will it feel like if um all of the seats on the ground floor are taken and you have to go down to the basement how do we make that feel like sort of sexy and fun and, and romantic and not feel like oh that's sad we have to go downstairs but nobody wants us like how do you <laughs> how do you I guess make customers feel a certain way it's all really, really fun to do, but it is. I, I mean, I can't lie. It's extremely stressful at the same time. It's um, it's just a lot of moving pieces. I always say that, like, I think that doing a restaurant similar to directing a film, there's just like there's the budget and there's like I don't know the music and casting. You're trying to get different sh- staff to work yeah. for you while schedules are slightly shifting. Building is expensive. Costs are going up. Are you Brexit. having to do quite a lot? Because the, the old Condor and Cook, isn't it? It's the old Condor and Cook, yeah. So it has to be gutted. Right. Um, and it didn't have extra, it didn't have like a, a kitchen, a, a restaurant kitchen in it. So it needs all of that put in. It was in. just a cafe. I mean, not just, but it was a beautiful cafe selling cakes. It wasn't was a it? lovely cafe selling yeah. cakes. And they had a wholesale like bit of it downstairs. So they had quite, um, they actually had quite a beefy kitchen for right. a, 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 a bakery. But they had like a, I don't know, a six deck oven or whatever, which we would, we don't need. So, and a mezzanine and, you know, it was designed for a completely different thing. So obviously, as you get closer, you will have a a staff and a team kind of working with you all the time. But at this point, in all these wonderful things you're talking about and the planning of it, is there a team around you or or, or are you kind of picking wall colours on your own? Uh... I I mean I have a designer and a project manager. I have some of the investors are more involved than the others. Yeah. Um, so I have I, at any one time I'll have a team yeah. around me. But ultimately the decision is on me. I mean if if it is hideous when it's finally open, <laughs> <laughs> I'll have no one to blame but me. Fair enough. Yeah. You must feel that your economics background is coming in handy. I mean. I think the only thing it gives has given me is a feeling of I should be able to understand this. I should be able to, you know, uh, I don't know. I should be able to, especially on the financials, understand what's happening. So, so yeah. But I mean, I mean, plenty of people. I think, I think, I think any kind of person can do a restaurant. It's one of the magical things about them. You can come from any background. Yeah, yeah. But making them work, as you say, is you know, it's. Hard and things like hands talk. So, so Ravnik Girl did one of these, I don't know, uh, six or so back. If anyone's oh, listening cool. and wants to listen back to Rav, and she was um, talking about you know, the breadth work that she does. And we talked a bit about hands talk because she's another one of those powerhouse women who I just don't know how she fits it all. I mean, in. I don't know how she fits it all, but in. I sort of feeling that about you as well. <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm, I think I'm a lot more tired than Rav is. And uh, I feel a lot less. I feel, yeah, Rav seems to have boundless energy to do lots of other things. I don't have to, thank, thank God, have to be on television at any point in time. So I can... Um, Once again, I would say hold that. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, at the, for the moment, at least, I can struggle, okay. struggle on, yeah. you know, and no one knows. Yeah, no one knows what, exactly what I look like that day or whether I... <laughs> Um, you mentioned uh, quickly earlier that you, were, when you're looking for restaurants, you're thinking about you know, where it would be and looking at different sites and things. Um, obviously, in the answer, you have to say some lovely things about Borough Market. But why Borough Market? Why did that become where Rambutan's going to be? I mean, I just, I just do think this is true that Borough Market is this magical, special bit of London. It is so old. It is like over a thousand years old and it has an act of parliament about it. And it is the place that people, visitors to London come to when they want to try British food or, or try, free, I guess, food in, in the UK. It doesn't have... In any of the bricks and mortar restaurants, it doesn't have um, a Sri Lankan presence. It doesn't even have a South Asian presence yet. So I feel this extraordinary opportunity to represent um, South Asian cooking there is like such a such a big kind of honour. It has retained, I think, its magic and it hasn't become a sort of soulless um place like some of the other big developments in yeah. London. I sort of feel in a way that it's... Um I think I can say it's that on a bar market firing me. I think that in the last couple of years, in some ways, it's rediscovered part of its purpose. And, you know, when lockdowns hit and supermarkets were kind of struggling to get everyone exactly what they wanted, it was moving, to be honest, kind of see the local community really grateful and uh, enjoying the experience of being able to kind of go into the market just to get their bread yeah. and their eggs. Yeah. And I think in some ways that rerouted the market space. Yeah. It's never forgotten, I think, what it is for or who it's for. And I think, you know, incredible produce is at the heart of that yeah. market and it is what yeah. drives that market. You know, sure, people people also grab a um, chorizo sandwich or whatever while they're, while they're there. But the produce, the beautiful displays of it and the grumpy-looking fish and all of it... <laughs> I say grumpy looking traders. I was like, like, hold on. The traders look lovely. I would never say anything about them. But yeah, I feel, uh, I just feel like it, yeah, it has a real sense of identity. And I think you can tell that it's, you know, it's not a private landlord that is a landlord that has a sense of stewardship about the place and wants to make it full of independent restaurants that yeah. doesn't want to be full, full of chains. Yeah. And they've, yeah. they've just, I think they've smashed it. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think, as we said at the beginning, I think you're going to be the most gorgeous addition. So October... Um, are you open every day? Do you know what the plan is for that? Yeah, currently we are open. We're planning to open every day except Sunday. Uh, and then probably to do either Sunday lunch or Sunday brunch at some point. But I, I think it would be good just in the opening few months to have a breather. Yeah, 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 yeah. And sort of, and sort, of sort things out on a yeah, Sunday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Screw things into the loose. <laughs> <laughs> Well, for anyone who can't wait, they can get themselves a copy of Rambutan and give some of the dishes a go and then see how theirs compares to yours. Exactly. Come and tell me that mine is not as good as the, as yours. Exactly. That's what I want to hear. <laughs> Although you do, again, you know, I'm banging on about how much I love this book because I genuinely do. You say in the book about you know, curries, you know, evolve them. Don't get stuck yeah. in a recipe. 
give yeah, it your give thing. it a go. I, th- I mean, I I hope I don't know if I've done this successfully, but one of the things I wanted to do in the book was to sort of demystify some of the whys of curry. You know, why, for example, do you temper, do you fry onions at the end and sometimes at the beginning of, of what you're doing? Um, what are the different kinds of curry you get in Sri Lanka? And I think if you sort of know some of the rules, you can you can flex them a bit and change them. You can add slightly different spice mixes and have have fun, and you might just discover some great curry invention. Yeah. So I encourage people to do. Yeah, well, that. absolutely brilliant. And I think it gives it gives your food through the book, and I've got no doubt the restaurant as well. And um, from talking to you, it gives your food a, a freedom and a lightness to it that's not isn't. I'm going to say this as well as I'd like to, but it doesn't feel weighed down by the heritage. It feels a freedom that comes from it. Is that yeah? That I, mean? I mean, I think that like curry has been around for millennia, and it will be something I say in the book. It will be here long after you and I, you know, are gone, and it and it has been here for long after long since we arrived. So, so curry is um, curry and Sri Lankan food has and will always transmogrify and change and adapt to the people that come into the island and the influences of now the many millions of us who live outside of Sri Lanka. And I think it's beautiful to be celebrated um, and, and we don't have to live in a mausoleum of traditions. That said, there are lots of ancient recipes that are really wicked and we should continue to cook them because they're delicious. So um, hopefully there's room for it all. Yeah. I think you've just wound us up absolutely perfectly. Cynthia, could not wish you more joy and success with the restaurant Thank and the you. book and everything else. I'm no doubt it's going to be an absolute smash. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. Oh, no. Uh, cannot wait to see you down there at Borough Market. Um, opens in October. Round Britain, the book is out now. Um, Cynthia, thank you for joining us. And thank you all very much for listening along to Borough Talks. Thanks for joining us today. We'll be back with more Borough Talks soon. A reminder that Borough Market is now open seven days a week. For those who can't make it down here, you can still enjoy the best of Borough at Borough Market online with nationwide delivery. You can head to our website for more information, subscribe to our newsletter. There are lots of recipes and features on the Borough Market traders.